0: welcome everyone to finance podcast week and this our very last special live stream panel making your money work for you with george grombasher from the lifeblood podcast canna campbell of sugar mama's fireplay danielle desir of the thought card and dr james doll of the white coat investor podcast for those of you who may be joining us for the first time finance podcast week is a week of live stream sessions like this one with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world We also have exclusive pre-released episodes on the Finance Podcast Week channel for free. You can replay any of the panels on the Finance Podcast Week channel. Download the Podbean app and follow the Finance Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes of the week. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We are a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And now we'll hand it off to our host of the live stream panel, George Grombasher of the Lifeblood Podcast. Take it away.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for taking the time and tuning in. And I think it's pretty cool that we are the final session of of this awesome week. And thanks to Podbean for the invite and obviously for, for putting this on. So, excited to to be joined by some amazing podcasters and I'm going to go around and Danielle if you would start us off and let me know when when you hear how to make money work for you what 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 sort of goes through your head
2: right so my name's Danielle Dezera i'm the host of the thought card podcast which is an affordable travel and personal finance podcast really empowering financially savvy travelers to travel more and build wealth. And when I think about that statement, making your money work for you, it's detaching myself in a way from the daily grind of what we think that we have to do to actually earn money and to have a sustainable lifestyle. So for me, it's really about finding ways to make passive income, So that i'm more detached and i can actually go ahead and live my life with my family and and reach out to do my other goals
1: love it dr jim how
3: about you all right all right you guys got it you guys got to quit calling me doctor Uh, if i'm at the hospital that's fine but otherwise jim is great uh you know i uh i host the white coat investor podcast which is designed uh, to help doctors and other high-income earners stop doing dumb stuff with their money and uh, honestly, my audience works pretty hard. Uh, they work really hard. They work weekends, nights, holidays, evenings, et cetera. And my goal is for them to get their money working as hard as they work. And so when I start thinking about getting your money working for you, I start thinking about, well, trying to make sure you're not losing a bunch of it to fees and taxes that maybe you don't have to pay if you are a little bit more financially literate. But certainly, one reminder I always give everybody is that investing in particular is not a competition. If there is a competition, it's just you against your goals. It's really a one-player game. And so I try to keep people focused on their own goals. And when you're doing that, when you're actually working towards stuff you care about, you're going to have a lot more success.
1: Nice. I certainly appreciate both of those answers. It really resonates with me. That's, that's, that's essentially that I, I think about being intentional with everything and really thinking about, you know what, this is this is the life I want to live and this is the kind of person that I want to be. And I might not be that person right now, but when I think about that person, I like to think about how how does that idealized version of myself spend my money? What do I spend money on? What do I not spend money on? How do I spend my time? What do I give my attention to? What do I not give my attention to? Because to Danielle's point, it's like we're, we're interested in really living our lives. You know, and Jim, you know, we're working super hard. So how can we make our money work for us and also just make sure that all this money isn't walking out the back door? So I appreciate that. Has uh, Canna been able to join the call? Does anybody know? Can are you there?
0: No, I I believe she's not here. So let's okay. just continue.
1: Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we absolutely will. So. Danielle, um, what is, I, I know the thought card, you're, you're talking a lot about travel and, and personal finance. As things are, are are clearing up, hopefully from a COVID standpoint, what, what are you thinking about or talking about on, on your show in regard to travel?
2: Yes. So at least for me, my philosophy has always been to save for travel and make travel a part of a financial life regardless of what's happening so i did not talk about taking my foot off the gas when it came to saving for travel um so that for me is really important because i knew that once we could actually see the light at the end of the tunnel we would want to have the funds available to be able to go on the trips that we really truly wanted especially a lot of people now are like i really really got to go and travel now i didn't get to do it for over a year and a half so that was has been a Part one, making sure that we're still reaching our goals, our financial goals when it comes to saving for travel. But part two, because a lot of us have now been working remotely for the past year, there's like a whole new world of remote work, location independence that is like so exciting and truly inspiring. I'm one of those people that hasn't been to an office in over a year. So now we're talking about, okay, how do we design our life? How do we work remotely? How do we even pitch it to our bosses so that we could work remotely after this past year? Um, so that's another thing I've been talking about and also more local travel. So I primarily do travel now within like four hours away from home. So how do I still explore my region, explore my city safely? These are all the things that we're uh, thinking about right now on the podcast.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love the idea that, you know what, we might not be able to travel, but that doesn't mean we should stop uh, diverting or uh, putting money towards our, our, our travel fund. So I think that that's incredible. And then being able to take advantage potentially of, of location independence and as things continue to open up, really figuring out how how, how you want your, 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 your life to really look. Jim, I, I, I don't know, is it possible for a doctor to be location independent at, at, at this point? Probably not.
3: You know, it's fascinating. I've been thinking a lot about this lately and talking to people about this. I, I guess if you do telemedicine, it is. You know, maybe radiology is a classic example. For years, doctors have been reading CT scans in the middle of the night in the United States while living in Australia or in Switzerland or whatever. So I think there's some possibility there. But I have a couple of people that are work work for me, for my company, the White Coat Investor, that are currently in Guatemala for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so it it is fascinating to be able to be location independent, and it gives you, you know, a couple of options. One is to go someplace really cool, you know, that you always wanted to visit and work from there. The other one, which I think I'm seeing more and more people doing, is going someplace much less expensive to live, and using that as a bit of a geographic arbitrage. Now, they've still got their high income from the Bay Area or Manhattan (laughs) or whatever, but they're living in Indianapolis or living in, in Texas or wherever, you know, and so they're able to save dramatically more money than they could before. So lots of, lots of options when, when all of a sudden you don't have to live in the same city as your employment.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a, a big paradigm. I don't know if it's a paradigm shift, and that's a that's kind of a beat up word right there. There's a lot of that going on with, with I think people thinking about well, maybe I don't need to live in New York or live in California, and I, I can explore Indianapolis or all these other cities. Um, Danielle, do you have a as, as 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 you're thinking about that? I know that certainly being location independent, how, how 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 are you thinking about and how are how are people talking about how to evaluate potential places to be living?
2: Yeah, so I really think about in terms of your uh, preference for lifestyle design. So if you, let's say, for example, you want to be in a mountain region versus a beach region, like those are completely different types of environments and your interests really play a role in the type of places that you want to travel, even if it's just for You know, not necessarily becoming fully location independent, but you, let's say you want to remote work for a week or two while you can, thinking about what are your interests, and then secondly, aligning that to the destinations in in your kind of wheelhouse that you can travel to, and then follow that up with your budget. Um, Like Jim had mentioned, your budget will play a a big role. Just because I want to go to, let's say, San Francisco, doesn't necessarily mean that that makes the most fiscal sense for me. Uh, to work while also taking care of my household expenses.
1: How is, how, how do you think, like what, what, what is stopping people from doing this? Is it just, is, is it fear and a, or a, a anxiety? It's probably a little bit of everything. Once you go through that exercise, here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I think I can afford. And then actually taking that step. I, I imagine that that's not the easiest thing.
2: I think the hardest thing is overcoming objections by our bosses. Like I get a lot of people who tell me that they're just so nervous about actually bringing this up. And my counter argument that there was an article published in the Washington Post from the 1970s where NASA, I think an astronaut or a scientist had proposed the idea of working remotely in the 1970s and we're now in 2021 and we're still having this conversation which is crazy so for me once i realized that there was an article out there that was published so long ago i just started to question everything um and now it's like i've been doing this for so long this past year my job performance is even better i have a better work-life balance so it's actually in your advantage as an employer to uh, give me this freedom so that I can have a full life outside of work. So I think, I think it's really about mustering the courage to just speak up, plant those seeds, and back that up with your work ethic and the, like the, what you're able to produce when you're actually doing your uh, nine to five job.
1: Yeah, I think, that that's, I think that that's really, really solid, solid thinking and advice right there. And Jim's, Jim, Jim, in, uh, in terms of uh, expectations. Sorry,
0: sorry, George, this is Norma Jean from the Podbean team. I just wanted to let you know we have Canna live in the live stream as well. So welcome. Awesome. Uh, Hi, you. everyone.
1: Welcome, Canna. So, Canna, uh, I, I I will introduce you in just a second. I wanted to get this thought out. Jim, in, in terms of expectations, I imagine that that a doctor, when, when you're going through medical school and putting in all the hard work that it takes to become a doctor... You have certain expectations of what the career is going to be like. And then once you become a doctor, there's probably a lot of expectations that are put upon you. How, how do you think about how to manage those expectations? Um, that's that's a big question. But what are your thoughts on
3: that? You know, it's really interesting because it's difficult to know who you're going to be at 35 or 45 at 22 years old, which is basically how old you are when you start into this crazy long medical training pipeline, right? You go to college for four years, you go to medical school for four years, you do residency fellowship for another three to seven years. You're a different person when you come out, and your interests may not be the same as they were when you went into that pipeline years and years ago, but you feel a little bit stuck because if you're like about three quarters of doctors, you owe hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. Mm. And you really, there's nothing else you can do other than doctor for a while to pay those off. And so a surprising amount of doctors feel stuck. I put a question up on Twitter the other day and asked people if you had $20 million, and I just picked a huge number that was clearly enough for anybody to never have to work again for money. I said, if you have $20 million, how many of you would retire ASAP? How many of you would cut back at work and how many of you would work just as much as you're doing now? And uh, it's a little bit sad what the results were. The results were about 40% of people, and these are mostly doctors that were following me on Twitter, 40% would retire as soon as possible and another 50% would cut back. And what that tells me is an awful lot of people are doing it either partly or completely for the money. And so... I would hope that they can find ways to you know, manage money well enough that they can create their ideal life. Because personally, I believe some amount of work is a necessary part of my ideal life. You know, I would not want to retire completely and not do anything productive whatsoever for the next 45 years of my life. Um, but I think a lot of people are stressed and they're burned out and they're working more than they should, et cetera. Uh, and often for financial reasons. And so I would hope that, that we can help people to find ways that, that they're doing work that they really enjoy and would be willing to do at least partially for non-financial reasons.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said. So Kanna Campbell,
3: welcome, welcome.
1: You are coming from Sydney, Australia. I believe you are the host of the Sugar Mamas Fireplay podcast and
2: yes, proprietor <laughs>
1: Sugar Mama TV. So glad you're able to mm. join us. Thank when, you for having me. Yeah, when when you hear making money work for you, what what mm. what kind of goes through your head?
4: Look, I am very much about um, you know with everyone agreeing with everyone else, it's all about building enough passive income to ideally more than cover your living expenses and more importantly, that income continues to grow and exceeds uh, inflation, can Easily cover any of your tax responsibilities or obligations. And it's about building diversified income streams and not getting caught up in the pyramid marketing schemes that sort of people try to uh, sell as passive income that aren't actually passive income streams at all, but really through quality blue chip investing over the long run, nothing like, you know, get rich quick schemes or anything like that, just intelligent, wise, consistent investing.
1: Nice. I certainly appreciate that. And Danielle, you uh, mentioned this. Uh, I I'm obviously, I think we're all interested in passive income, but you talked about how that would really kind of helps us to 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 move more towards our our ideal life. How do you counsel people on looking at the world of different investment opportunities and finding the right maybe passive income opportunity for them?
2: Yeah, so I think for me, what I try to specialize in is really monetizing the skills that you already have, and packaging it in a way that it can bring you income on on repeat, or in a, in a passive way, let's say. So um, for me, as a content creator, I'm able to create a piece of content, right? For example, my blog or my podcast, and through that passively I'm able to make sales of let's say my books or my courses or things that I have spent years learning how to do but now I'm able to package it into something a container that people can go off and do on their own so I'm really big on monetizing your skills and primarily that's number one and then number two using that to now create more passive income where you don't have to necessarily be involved for every sale that you're making.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Jim, Kenna mentioned watching out for bad opportunities. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I've always heard that physicians are are guilty of making terrible decisions a lot of the time. How do you think about that?
3: Yeah, we definitely have a a reputation of being terrible with money. And uh, it's not just picking up bad investments. It's also just not budgeting well and, you know, even overspending what many people look at as a very high income. Um, you know, it's amazing to see somebody living hand to mouth on $400,000 a year, quite honestly. Um, but why that happens, I think a lot of that happens, uh, for the same reason it happens to everybody else, even people who are earning much less money. They simply don't pay attention. They don't pay attention. They don't realize how important it is to be intentional with your money and to actually make a plan and work the plan. And so I think that's probably the most important thing, um, uh, and the most important reason why, why people, despite having a high income, still blow it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's sometimes it's just, and a lot of the time, it's just the simplest things. It's having to actually, or actually having a plan and then doing your best to stick to that plan. Kiana, when, when, when you're counseling people and you say, Hey, we need to watch out for bad opportunities and don't, Mm -hmm. don't, don't get caught in these traps um, I certainly appreciate that from a more of a defensive standpoint. Um, what, what's the next step from there, assuming that we are able to avoid bad ones?
4: I think the first thing is to to, to look at where this, um, I guess, bad advice has come from. Look at the true incentives behind it. Like, you know, I with all of my clients, when they come to me with like, oh, I've heard this stock's great or I've heard about this company or this, you know, investment opportunity, I never dismiss it. I, you know i'm I'm always open-minded and I'm like, okay, well, let's explore it together. Let's look at really how this investment is investment's going to make you money. and, and we go digging together, and and you know pull out all the, the pros and cons, and really analyze the risk and and how it matches back to their their plan, their goals. Is this something that's going to complement what we've done already, and what the cl- my client has said to me they want to achieve, or is is this going to sort of add a, a additional bit of a deviation to our game plan? And quite often, you know, uh, you know the advice that that person's received has maybe come from. Uh, The good intentions, but it's, you know, as we go digging together, we realize it's not right or it's actually, um, you know, a bit of a landmine. So we know then, you know, to, to step away and not, but it's good to go in with an open mind, but be very careful. And this is where I guess a financial planner or a financial advisor can, you know, has that intangible value in someone's life because they stop them from making a very expensive mistake that, not only cost them a huge amount of money, but can cost them a huge amount of time. But always come back to the plan, come back to the goals, and really analyze the risk. It might be a great opportunity, but the risk may completely outweigh the gain, which is what a lot of people you know, conveniently forget or get caught up in the moment.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's a big word right there that I just I wrote down and, and drew a big circle around it, risk. Uh, I definitely want to come back to Danielle, as, we're, as, as somebody's thinking about monetizing their skills and, and creating content, how do you think about the different mediums? Because there's so many different ways. You can obviously podcast. We can start a blog. There's, it seems like a never-ending new ways to, to sort of get our thoughts out there. How do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think about what's your favorite way to create content and as also consume content? Like, for me, I love consuming YouTube videos, but I don't have a full-blown YouTube channel because that's not necessarily, like, for me, I don't think like that. I don't think in video, but I do think in written, uh, written form and also podcasting. So I would say think about your interests. What do you feel like would be the easiest thing for you to do with the least resistance? Doing what you can right now with the resources you have is really important and you know some folks may be thinking oh well i can do an instagram channel versus actually have my own website and i would push back on that because you want to create long-form content on the assets you own because if something happens and social media goes down which is very frequently or someone hacks your account you're not going to have access to all the years of content or months of content you've been creating so i'm always about creating things on your own platforms that you can 100% control. And then from there, thinking about what's the best way for you to create content that you could at least be consistent in, especially when you're starting out. Consistency is really key as you build your your audience, build your authority, and just, again, connect, connect with other people who have similar interests as you.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think that's awesome. Jim, you've been I, I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. You've you've been doing the White Coat Investor, the blog, and your pod since 2011. Is, is that correct?
3: That's correct. You know, it's it's funny. You think you're getting into uh, you know this passive income stream, and it turns out to be anything <laughs> but passive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'd love to. You just kind of going back to that idea about the 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 medium. How? Why you chose? Because you're an author. You are. You have this very dynamic blog. You've been doing podcasting for a long time. How did you settle on 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 those choices?
3: You know, uh, I went where the doctors were. That, that's quite honestly, I was trying to make the biggest difference I could. And in 2011, people were reading blogs. And uh, two or three years after that, there was kind of a transition toward podcasts. In the last few years, it seems like a lot of people are looking toward video. So we've beefed up our our video options and our online course options and those sorts of things. And so mostly I'm repackaging the same material, you know, financial literacy and, and inspiration for those earning a high income into whatever format people will consume it in whether that's an online course or a book or a blog or a podcast or a videocast or an, a live conference. You know, some people are really into live conferences, so we have one of those as well. And uh, my goal is just to help as many people as I can. And it turns out that there is not that much overlap in my audiences. Uh, there are a lot of people in my Facebook group that don't even read my blog. It's really amazing. So you really have to, uh, you know, format something into the way people like to consume it in order to reach them and help them.
1: Interesting, right? Why do bank robbers rob banks? Because that's where the money is. So figure out where the folks that you want to serve are, and then go to those places. So appreciate that, and appreciate also being able to be fluid and and start doing new things. Um, so I appreciate that, Kenna. You are uh, famous for helping people to be successful while doing lots of different things. And today we're managing <laughs> such 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 busy lives. So. Hmm. If if you would just talk a little bit about how how you think about uh, managing your time and, and your attention.
4: Absolutely. Uh, for me, you know, I'm not going to be limited or dictated by my 9 to 5 job. You know, there's so many opportunities for us to start, you know, a, a side hustle, a business, a hobby, um, uh, you know, a, a blog, a YouTube channel, an Instagram account, you know in the early hours, the morning, late at night, on the weekend. So I really have a great attitude about my time. I really respect my time, but I also make sure that I use it wisely. You know, it's that saying, work smarter, um, not harder or longer. So I really, you know, when I switch off, I switch off properly. I'm as present as I possibly can be. But when I'm working, I'm in the zone. I want to get stuff done. And I really look at, you know, the investment of my time. If I'm doing something... Is this worth my time? Could I be delegating it? Could I be outsourcing it? How could I, you know, really live my life as efficiently as possible so that I can have a really healthy balance in life where I'm there for my kids, you know, I'm helping them with their assignments, I'm taking them to watch them, you know, play sport i'm having some time out on my own you know to go for a walk or a swim down at the beach like it's all about you know working efficiently smarter not harder not burning yourself out and and living you know we've only got one life make the most of it
1: yeah i certainly appreciate that jim you talked um and 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 I'm going to circle back to you in just a second. You talked about how so many of of the physicians that you surveyed weren't necessarily in love with the work that they were doing, and it strikes me that if doctors aren't super engaged, then then it's tough for the rest of us. Um, and Danielle, when 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 we're thinking about um, monetizing our our skills and things that we enjoy is there a way to know that if i start doing this and i really start spending a lot of time then i'm going to like doing it because you certainly don't want to start doing something and then discover that you hate it
2: yeah like for me when i first started my blog i started my blog not even knowing that it was going to become an income stream like six years later (laughs) so sometimes it's like if you if you follow your interests or you start something that you're like, okay, be open to the opportunities. Like I see in the chat, there's someone who is saying that they may be shutting themselves out of like side hustle opportunities. And I think it's about being open, being open to seeing where this goes. And if there's an opportunity to monetize it, then okay, great. But sometimes we're so quick to monetize and then we end up kind of pigeonholing ourselves and now it becomes like a second J-O-B, right? So I think there's a, a, a fine line of like being open, exploring, failing sometimes, like not being afraid to fail forward. And then when you actually hit something that strikes a chord where it's like passion meets income, me, you know, that perfect synergy, then, okay, go ahead and move forward. And then you think about scaling that project.
1: Nice. I think that that's great. Jim, I, I I've heard Seth Godin talk recently about how it's a fallacy, this idea of sunk costs, and how just because I've spent a ton of time and money on something, I, I, I should move off it if it's not giving me what I want. What do you think about that?
3: Uh, I mean I completely agree, right? The sunk cost fallacy affects all of us. And we need to realize that that's water under the bridge and move on from it in life when you realize something's a sunk cost. You know, a classic one, I run into people all the time. In fact, I had a neighbor stop by yesterday talking to me about this whole life policy he wishes he never bought. Um, But he doesn't want to walk away from it purely because of the sunk cost fallacy. And, uh, so basically I just had a 10 minute therapy session with him helping him overcome the sunk cost fallacy, but it affects people's decisions all the time. I want to say something briefly about, uh, the, the question about introverts, um, you know, the best part about, you know, being any sort of an online entrepreneur is you can kind of take it at your own pace. Um, I'm also an introvert. The way you can tell if you're an introvert or not is whether you kind of recharge your batteries by being alone Or whether you recharge your batteries by being around other people and uh, I definitely need some alone time to recharge Um, But the nice thing about it is you're kind of in control of it So if you don't want to engage with your readers You don't have to have comments on your blog and you can answer emails when you feel like doing it And so I wouldn't wouldn't feel like you can't do a side hustle because you're an introvert um, I think that's that's really a fallacy as well.
1: Thank you for that, Kenna. I'm, I'm I'm interested in talking a little bit more about figuring out when the right time to start outsourcing is and delegating, uh, if in fact there is ever a right time to do that.
4: Oh, such a great question. Um, yeah, I see so many times people delegate too soon. You know, they start paying people to do things, and I'm like. Hang on, you haven't make, you're not making enough profit to just to justify those expenses yet, and they kind of shoot themselves in in the foot. You've really got to run the numbers and look at well, okay, if I pay this person X amount of dollars per hour, it's going to cost me a total much of this much. Realistically, what does that free up my time to do? Does it free up my time to actually go and make more money? So I'm actually almost making a profit here. Or am I just going to free up this time for, you know, some, some you know, me time, some mental health, which is perfectly fine as well. But you really need to run the numbers and, and actually work out, is this a good investment right now? And um, I really think it's something that, you know, you hit a point where you're like, okay, it's, it's almost like an aha or an awakening moment where you go, hang on, all right, this doesn't make sense. I'm sitting here, you know sweating away like laboring away for hours when actually I can pay someone you know and give someone else a great opportunity to earn some extra money and then I could use free up my resources to go and find more business or find more connections or collaborate with more people or uh, you know or invest more in in discovering more new investment opportunities like so it's, it's really about looking at the numbers analyzing numbers before you just jump in the deep end and start delegating and outsourcing
1: yeah thank you for that Danielle, it's it sort of in the the same vein of that, of really understanding what you're good at. And maybe I don't know if you think about how if it's important to double down on that or to focus on your strengths or to try to try to increase or try to strengthen your weaknesses instead of that. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think it's important to I I would say first double down on what you're good at because that's usually the path of least resistance. Like someone like me, I need and thrive off of quick wins. So I need that constant like, yay, we're moving forward. We're doing stuff. So if I'm solely focusing on my weaknesses, I may not be as motivated. And that's truly and purely because I know myself really well. So I would say if you're not sure which side you're leaning on, you know, try them both out. But for me, I know that focusing on my strengths is really important. And then after that, I focus on the gaps. So as I'm like trying to figure things out, I look to see, okay, what's the next step that I want to take in my life, my finances, my business? And then what do I need to get there? And then I try to focus on learning that skill or hiring that coach or hiring someone or or learning, reading a book or listening to podcasts that will help me to bridge that gap. But at least for my style, I prefer focusing on strengths, identifying gaps, and then going after it from
3: there.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Jim, what are your thoughts on that?
3: You know, I would, it's hard. It's hard for me to weigh in, but I think I mostly agree. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh,
1: uh, in 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 terms of delegating, we we talked a little bit about delegating. How do you think about working with with a financial advisor?
3: You know, the key is to know yourself and know what kind of person you are. If you are the type of person that does not want to pay attention to this, that it feels like pulling teeth to pay attention to your finances, um, that you're not going to do a very good job with it, you should hire a financial advisor. And the key is to get good advice at a fair price. But you certainly have the capability of doing this yourself. And you can save a lot of money. You know, by the time you actually uh, know enough to choose a good financial advisor, you probably know enough to do it yourself. Um, But if you run the numbers on what, you know, the industry standard 1% a year will do to your retirement portfolio over 30 years, uh, you may get a little bit more motivation to learn how to do this yourself. But I think the most successful do-it-yourself investors are a little bit of hobbyists. They actually enjoy this stuff. They like looking at mutual fund prospectuses and they like making their own spreadsheets that sort of stuff if that's you i encourage you to totally go for it as long as you have the the investment discipline to not do stupid things in crazy markets uh, you're likely going to be much more successful and you'll be happier because you get to be the captain of the ship
1: i mean you just you just can't put a fine enough point on how important it is to really know yourself and to do your best not to bs yourself and to, to to mislead ourselves because there's already plenty of folks out there who are interested in doing that on our, on our behalf. So try to try to put ourselves in a position to, to 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 be successful. Kenna, um, I, I'm fascinated by the the thought of how small amounts of money or relatively small amounts of money can can make a huge difference in our lives. And I know that you have <laughs> the thousand dollar project. I so just wanted to get your thoughts on that.
4: Yes, yeah, so. The $1,000 project is essentially where I took one big goal and just simply broke it down into bite-sized, mini, manageable, and therefore achievable goals, which was just coming up with $1,000 at a time. Not once did I ever think about, okay, save $100,000 or save $50,000. I just went, okay, I can realistically save up $1,000, so just repeat it as many times as pos- as you possibly can. So. I uh, also wanted to show people that, you know, you're not dictated by your nine to five salaries. You can, you can sell things, you can pick up a side hustle, you can walk dogs, you can babysit. Uh, There are so many different things you can do to earn extra money in your life. And so what I decided to do was set myself a goal and a plan to just, come up with a $1,000. And the moment I did that to repeat that process over and over again and look for as many different ideas and opportunities to earn extra money, save extra money, budget extra money, even manifest extra money. And um, every time I had a $1,000, I went and invested it into a portfolio of blue chip industrial shares and ETFs and listed investment companies. And Today that's a portfolio worth almost $200,000 and it does have, I have included a very conservative uh, gearing strategy in there as well, but there, uh, there's the net figure of that portfolio is $150,000 and it creates a passive income of over $7,500 a year. So it's not about like I, I think sometimes when we set these massive goals for ourselves to save, you know, $500,000 or a $1 million for our retirement, it can seem so far-fetched and unrealistic that we lose the connection and the passion and the motivation to give that financial goal a really good crack. So I say to people, like, stop worrying about that. You're just going to overwhelm yourself. You're going to freeze and panic and, and do nothing and give up. Just focus on what you can do in the present moment. Is It It doesn't have to be $1,000. Maybe it's $500. Maybe it's just $100. But the moment you have that $100 that you've manage to create through budgeting, saving, you know, using vouchers, uh, you know, uh, you're having like fun, frugal challenges, you know, like I do frugal February and manifesting March. The moment you've got that money that you've had as your goal, put it towards one of your financial goals. And that might be getting out of credit card debt. That might be paying off, you know, some student debt. That might be having some emergency savings. That might be investing, which is what I did that might be putting that money towards a deposit on your first home or, or putting that money towards your mortgage. It's about consciously taking that money and doing something with it that's going to benefit our financial well-being because, you know, if if say I took you out to lunch today and, it, you know, you were planning on spending, say, $50 at lunch and I say to you when we go to pay, look, I'm going to shout lunch today. It's, it's my shout, you know, don't worry about paying. You've technically saved $50. Now, if you don't consciously do something with that $50, it's going to evaporate into thin air. That $50 most likely won't be in your account or your wallet at the end of the week. It will be. It will go towards something else. But if you instead go, wow, thank you, Canada, that's really nice of you to do that, and then you go and put $50 towards your mortgage or $50 towards your credit card debt or $50 towards your, any of your loans or your, your 401k plan or your Roth account or your investment portfolio, you, you've actually crystallized that gain. You've made it count. And that's what the $1,000 project is all about, like making that money, those opportunities that are around all of us all the time forcing us to step up and seize them and make them really count.
1: I love that. Danielle, you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yes. Uh, One of the things that I really love to do, and I know that I am really operating in that zone of like, just really passionate about my goals is when I can manifest it and I can actually visualize and see myself achieving that goal. So for me, for example, one of my goals, I would say it's a midterm goal. Like it's not happening next year, but hopefully in the next five to seven years is paying off my mortgage. Uh, and that is a very big, large, scary goal. Like not even my parents, my parents still have their mortgage. And I'm, here I am trying to like beat my mom here. Uh, and how I'm able to think about that and really be passionate about that goal is by visualizing myself having a party in the back, in my backyard where we're all around a bonfire. I have my last mortgage payment bill. I rip it up, throw it in the fire and everyone is like, yay, celebrating with me. And that's the, that's the like record that I keep playing in my mind to help me to see that finish line, to be able to grind it out for the next, like, you know, foreseeable future until I actually reach that goal. So for me, if I can see it, then, and I could see it over and over. I know that I'm hitting onto something that I know I will actually end up achieving sooner than later.
1: I love that. You have to promise to live stream that uh, party here <laughs> burning the last uh, mortgage payment I will, deal? I
2: will, deal, deal.
1: I love it. <laughs> Jim, your thoughts on this?
3: You know, I think uh, what a lot of people may have heard before, but you don't realize it until you've done it yourself. The first thousand is the hardest. The first 10,000 is the hardest. The first 100,000 is the hardest. The first million is the hardest. It's true because once you get there, your money is helping you to get where you wanna be. And it's doing some of the heavy lifting after you get there on the next, you know, $1,000 or the next 10,000 or the next 100,000. And the main reason why people don't have much money in retirement, and if you look at the statistics, it's a pathetically low amount that a typical person in their 60s has saved for retirement. The main reason people don't have it is not because they didn't find the magic investment, is not because they didn't find the right financial advisor. It's because they just didn't put enough money into the account over the years. And so I would encourage people to really focus on their savings rate, much more so than their investments as they go along, and and concentrate on that, and actually calculate it each year. How much of what I made this year do I still have? And I think that's really the best way to get started. And after a while, you just start seeing it snowballing and you get excited about it. And and it's really pretty amazing what you can accomplish.
1: I love that. You focus on your savings rate and it's way more important than rates of return and fees and expenses. It's important to be mindful of all of those things. But to your point, I think that that's such an important one. If you are not saving enough money, the rest of it just does not matter. So I, I appreciate that. Kiana, coming back to you, um, I just wanted to sort of open it up and get your sort of thoughts in general, instead of asking a really specific question, if there's something that you wish that that more people knew or did, or something that you wish that more people had the courage or discipline to do, or just whatever's top of mind for you right now.
4: Oh, absolutely. It's got to be people uh, thinking they're too old or it's too late to start investing, Uh, it's amazing, you know, what you can do, uh, when you put your head, heart and mind to it, you can, you can make up for lost time, whatever you do, do not throw the towel in. do not give up. Do not think it's too late and you're hopeless, you know, learn, educate yourself, make a decision, set some goals, come up with a game plan and stop talking about it. Just put action behind it. You know, as Danielle has said, and and Jim and everyone else, you know, it's about building momentum. The first $1,000 is the hardest. The first $10,000 is the hardest. The first million is the hardest. But just do it. And the thing is, once you've done it, you start building this momentum. And you also, I, I'm a big believer in tracking your progress because, you know, it's, sometimes, you know, we, we, we're going along our journey. We're like, oh, another 1,000, another 1,000, another, you know, whatever the number might be. And we can kind of lose ourselves sometimes in that process. But when you stop and look and go, wow, this time last year, I was drowning in debt. I'm now debt-free or I've paid off half my debt. And you kind of go, wow, actually, I'm doing this. These sacrifices are actually worth it. It's actually not that hard. And you get this new injection of motivation and inspiration to not just keep going, but to turn up the volume and think, all right, this is working. This is worth it. Uh, What else can I do? How can I do this faster? you know what what goal am I going to achieve once I've paid off this debt or once I've built up those emergency savings or once I've paid off my home like what are what other opportunities and exciting things can I achieve so just whatever you do do not think it's too late do not think you're too old it's never it's never too late and this is the importance of you know educating yourself financial literacy is is It's like knowing how to eat the right type of foods and how to exercise the right amount. You know, it's a part of your overall well-being. And when you take control of your financial well-being, the benefits like flow into your career. You're happier at work because you know it's worth it. You're happier at home. You know, your, your financial, the arguments over money in your family or with your partner seem to reduce or disintegrate. You feel like more of a team together. It flows into your mental and physical health. You know, it, it's really important that everyone takes their financial well-being seriously and part of your overall happiness and joy for life.
1: I think that that is powerful stuff right there. you got to educate yourself, make a decision, set goals, put some action behind it, you build momentum and confidence, good things happen. That's awesome. Danielle, same same kind of general question for you or just give you an opportunity to, to share some general thoughts.
2: Yeah, I would say like as a millennial, uh, you know, we've had a lot of obstacles. We have student loan debt that bogs us down. We had the Great Recession that bogs us down. We have lower salaries that, you know, bogs us down. So there's so many things that can make us feel like we are, you know, fighting against the current but you know for me it's all about not knowing how to do something should not be an excuse to move towards the right direction so just because i did not know how to to invest and because it felt scary did not mean and did not limit me from picking up a book or following youtubers who talk generally or listening to podcasts where I was being a sponge and learning about how to invest, why I should be investing versus just saving my money. So I definitely believe that not knowing how should not be an excuse. Also, you can choose to not be a victim of your circumstances, Uh, that is also important. And lastly, even if we don't know how we're gonna do something, like not knowing how I'm gonna pay off this mortgage super early, it doesn't matter because I really truly believe that the path will reveal itself as I continuously push forward. So those are my general thoughts.
1: I love it. I love that. Not knowing something, it's not an excuse.
3: Don't be a victim of your circumstances. I love it. Jim, same thing for you, sir. You know, I'm going to take this opportunity to go off on a little bit of a tangent of mine. Um, I am a firm believer that most people dramatically overestimate the difficulty of doubling their income. And the truth is, in personal finance, everything gets a lot easier when you make more money. You can travel more, you can save more, you can pay off debt faster. Everything gets easier. Yes, you pay a lot more in taxes. There's no doubt about that. You definitely pay more in taxes when you make more money. But everything is still easier despite that. And I think a lot of people think that's too hard or they can't do it. They have these limiting ideas about what they can make. Uh, But in reality, I think most people can double their income relatively easily over the course of two or three years. And that often involves a job change. It often involves some uncomfortable situations or uncomfortable discussions with a boss getting a raise. And and sometimes it's it's looking for that other job that gets you that raise. It might be starting a side hustle that turns out to be your main hustle a few years from now. It might be just looking at some inefficiencies in your business if you're self-employed. Um, But for the most part, I think we, uh, and I wouldn't say it's even really an American thing, I think it's just a people thing, we think it's too hard to make more money. And a lot of times you might be surprised that not only is it not any harder than what you're doing already, it might even be easier. And so I'd encourage people to really open their eyes, find out what people that are making a lot of money around them are doing, and see if there's something there that you would enjoy doing with your life. And, uh, and you'd be surprised how many of your financial problems can be solved by doubling your income
1: I love that and I, I think it's so true that we and you talked about how we overestimate how hard it is to double our income and if you don't think it's possible then it's probably impossible so you're probably not overestimating but the reality is that that it's very possible and particularly when you think about a three-year time period you can get so much done in three years you, you could change your entire life to 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 Jim's point. So thank you for that. Kiana, thoughts on, thoughts on everything?
4: Oh, absolutely. You know, I think as I said at the very beginning, you know, not being dictated by, uh, nine to five salaries, look at ways, you know, to, to earn extra money, bring in extra money, you know, and don't underestimate the power of saving money. You know, uh, sometimes right under our nose, are some of the best opportunities to free up extra money in our life. And it's just a matter of looking at our current lifestyle and, and what we truly value uh, and whether we're using our money that's matched correctly against our value system to create more money. There there are so many opportunities around us and it really, as you say perfectly, depends on our attitude and our, uh, you know, headspace towards it. If you have a, you know, defeatist attitude well that's not going to help you but if you sort of open-minded and say look I'll have a crack at this it's amazing what you can achieve and and even just like a 10% pay rise or a 20% pay rise that makes a huge difference if you can do that two or three years in a row there's you know 30 to 60% of a pay rise which is amazing um so you know look for opportunities I say to people be open to the flow of money into your life um You know, as Danielle said, you know about manifesting and hustling and getting in the zone. It's a very powerful place to be, and. I've had some really freaky things happen to me in my life when I've stopped and learnt to be present and listened to my, you know, my self-talk, the language I choose to use, um, you know, the 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 energy of of money as well. It's there's, it's a very powerful way, which when you combine with the practical aspects of money, the strategies, the budgeting, crunching the numbers. With with that a kind of abundant manifestation attitude, you have two very powerful sources where you have incredible shifts and breakthroughs in your life
5: That is a great thought to end on here because we are running up against time and we do have a couple giveaways that we would like to uh, give away (laughs) So um, our first giveaway is going to be for a free hour of financial coaching with George so uh, first person to comment an emoji in the chat wins that giveaway. Oh and it looks like we have our first winner here. So go ahead and email me here at RonnieG at podbean.com so we can get you connected to get that prize to you. Our second giveaway is a copy of Affording Travel from Danielle. So the first person to comment an emoji. Oh, you already won. So Claire is our winner here. Claire, go ahead and email me at RonnieG and we'll go ahead and get you your prize. And our last, uh, giveaway is for a signed copy of Dr. James's book, so the first person to comment an emoji. And we have our winner there. It looks like uh, LJ Moses. Go ahead and email me at G at podbean.com so we can get you your prize. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today for this panel. Uh, thank you for joining us for uh, making your money work for you with uh, George Grombisher of the Lifeblood podcast, Kanna Campbell of Sugar Mama's Fireplay, Daniel Desir of the Thought Card, and Dr. James Dahl of the White Coat Investor Podcast. If you joined late, or if you want to have another listen to these amazing podcasters and experts, you can always replay this panel on the Finance Podcast Week channel. And Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean, where a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see that we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only, and you should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site. Live streams and podcasts constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And with that, I thank you, everybody, for joining us today. This has been an amazing time. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us for fi- Finance Podcast Week. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Thank you to our fantastic panelists, and everybody, have a fantastic day. Thank you, everyone.
2: Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.